0: BC Nation, are you a parent, a mom, a dad? Then you obviously want your children to grow up with the ability to face life, especially disappointments and risk, with confidence and bravery. Children who learn resiliency are less likely to give up, avoid risk, and become overwhelmed with anxiety and depression. It's rampant in our young people today. My guest today, Dr. Kathleen Cook, is a child development specialist and author of six books, including Resilient Kids, Raising Them to Embrace Life with Confidence by Moody Publishers. Dr. Kathy is the founder of Celebrate Kids, based in Fort Worth, Texas, USA. She has influenced thousands of parents, teachers, and children in 30 countries. She says that many children do not believe they can overcome negative encounters And this results in fear, anxiety, and mental health issues. If this is you, your child, is dealing with any of these things, then you need to listen to this show today because we're going to reveal things today that you won't find anywhere else. Grab your pen and paper. Dr. Kathy Cook, welcome to Broken Catholic, number one podcast on iTunes for Protestants and Catholics. Go ahead and take a minute and fill in some of the gaps in that intro, would you?
1: Yeah, I appreciate what you said. It's so good to be here with you. Thanks for trusting me with your audience. Looking forward to chatting. Yeah, so I live in Fort Worth, Texas. I moved here from Green Bay, Wisconsin after I was a professor. Before that, I was a school board member and a coach and a teacher. Thought I would do each of those things forever, but God kept calling me more and more to parents and that's really why I established Celebrate Kids, because parents are the most important teacher their child will ever have. And yet they're mostly not trained. Um, you know, you're trained how to give birth, diaper, feed and bathe. And they send you home to raise this little human. And so we love to stand with parents of little kids who are just getting started all the way up to, you know, parents of adult kids who are really struggling with what's going on in the culture and how they can raise their kids to still be biblically solid Um believers without without sin rampant in their lives. So um, we're excited for what we get to do. I'm excited to get to know you and looking forward to our conversation.
0: Mm. Dr. Kathy, I think you are serving an incredible niche right now as you're watching the world and society go to chaos and just darkness and all the confusion that comes with that. For these young people, they're being raised in a generation where they don't know what to believe or who to believe, and there's just so many voices whispering and screaming in their ears. And they don't know how to handle it all. They're being fire hosed from every direction. And so many parents are spiritually, emotionally, psychologically checked out because they're fighting their own inner demons. And they feel uh unqualified yeah. or not equipped as a parent. Or they're wrestling their own sinfulness and feeling they don't they don't have the right to tell the kids or teach the kids right and wrong anymore because they're not even following it. Mm. I mean we're dealing with so much of this. Start us out kind of just pointing us in the direction with that conversation, that little lead there.
1: You know, what you said is really intriguing and it's so true. And, um, I think it's hard, it makes it harder for resiliency, right? Because resiliency is readily recovering from something and coming forward, bouncing back, moving out of the Valley into the light. But if we don't know the direction to move in, then resiliency is so much harder. Right? So I think one of the reasons that we have generations, plural of young people who are staying down in their valleys who are counting the blades of grass per square inch, you know, <laughs> rather than, you know, standing up and, and writing themselves and looking around to figure out, okay, where should I go? They don't know where to go. You're exactly right because there are so many voices. Um, I want to say to the parents and grandparents, your voice ought to be and always will be the, the loudest. It ought to be the clearest. I say to parents all the time, you don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have all the reasons for, what you know is right you just have to know it's right and if you're a believer you seek the lord for that you seek the holy spirit's guidance for that and you stand on your authority as a parent and you have the authority that jesus had under the father and so let's stand on that and let's say to our kids in our house we do it this way in our family we do it this way my grandfather was mayor of my city when i was growing up and so all of it my brother and i and our four cousins we were told. In the Meyer clan, so my mom's dad, Irv Meyer, was mayor. So in the Meyer clan, we do things this way. And we were observed back in the day by the media. And we did did need to be careful. And I'm really grateful to this day that there was a standard and there was a consistency. And And so what I would say to parents all the time is, you know, we're not responsible for the neighbor's kids, and we're, we're not responsible for what people out there believe. We can't hold them accountable to the standard we have here if they don't know the same standard. But in our family, we do it this way. So when kids know what is right and wrong for you and for how you're raising them, they know what to bounce back to. And that's a really critical issue for resiliency. Otherwise, it's easier to stay down in the valley. Mm. This is
0: very powerful. I think going back to that earlier point, many parents feel like hypocrites spiritually. Uh, Because again, they're dealing with their own stressors in life. Uh, They have pacifiers in their mouth, literally. (laughs) You you watch parents with all these vaping little apparatuses and I see grown men left and right sucking on little plastic pacifiers like they're babies. And maybe emotionally or psychologically or especially spiritually, they are. They just stopped formation at a certain age in these areas. And they're coping and existing in their own life, in their own misery. How do they go from that place of barely getting by themselves to standing in the authority that God has given them as parents and we know this because he literally gives a command to all of us to honor our mothers and fathers. If we didn't have authority as parents, why would we deserve honor?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How, do we, how do we go from that place of uh, hurting, woundedness, complacency, to standing into the authority of God as a parent, as a father, as a mother,
1: to our own children when we're struggling ourselves? Yeah, I appreciate that question. You know, reading the word certainly comes to mind, right? Being devoted to the word of God. It is true. Um, It is insightful. It is interesting. It is for today, which isn't it just amazing to read something that's so old and to see an immediate application to the struggle of today. It's just it's a beautiful life letter, love letter. And I teach kids all the time. You read it because your creator wrote it to you. you. You read it to get to know him. And also you get to know the ways that he would want you, you know, to live your life. And so do we read the word as, as true? Do we, are we devoted to it? Do we love God and the word? I think love is a huge factor. Not, so I want to tell young people that it's the love you have for God that should compel you to live rightly. It's not that, you know, right from wrong. It's that you love the creator of right and wrong, and you don't want to disappoint him or break his heart. So I think, do we know the word of God and do we, do we honor it? He is again, our, our father who deserves to be honored. And are we humble? You know, will, will we seek counseling? Will we seek a conversation with a pastor or a priest? Will we let someone know that we're struggling inside? Will we understand that our past ought not to control our future as much as it appears to be doing? And can we get over that if you will? And I don't say that lightly. Forgiveness is huge. Vulnerability is huge, but you know what? We all, we all know if we look and we think rightly about it, vulnerability increases your authority. No parent should be afraid to admit to a child, I am confused by this too. You know, on one hand, it appears to be arrogant for us to think these thoughts. On the other hand, you know, to let your kids know that you're still learning and that you are still wrestling a bit with whatever, because if they don't believe that you're wrestling with anything, it's harder for them to admit to you that they are. Mm. But when they see that you're also a thinker and you're also a reasoner, you're also looking for... What is the right way, the best way? Um, then it's easier for them to walk with you, not always behind you, but with you into that righteousness, if I can put it that way.
0: So what I just heard you say, and I'm going to paraphrase it in my language, is that transparency and vulnerability is contagious.
1: Mm. Yeah, that's a great way to say it. I agree. Mm-hmm. So yes.
0: if we expect our children to be vulnerable and transparent with their struggles and share them with us then we got to go first. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And and we have to be careful, right? Age developmentally sure. appropriate. You know, you don't tell your whole story and all the detail, But if you're struggling, let them know. If Bible memory is hard for you, let them know. If you, you know, are questioning Something that's going on in America or wherever it is that you live, let your kids know and wrestle with it together. Learning together cements that truth too, right? Because they'll have the emotional connection to you as a learner at the same time that they get that cognitive insight. And that can really cement it in a really powerful way.
0: In your book, Resilient Kids, you speak about the value of facing challenges, And you write this, uh, a parent's goal must be to help children move beyond their negative experiences and eventually benefit from them. Children build strength, character, and confidence in God through challenges. Teaching them and walking with them through experiences will cause growth and build trust and strength in your children. Now, this is not how society and the media sells it to us. They say the opposite. You must protect your children from all challenges. You must walk around and wrap your children in bubble wrap, right? (laughs) Um, Is a reference I believe you use and and protect them at all costs. Do not let them go through life with even a scrape. Why is that dangerous? And what is the proper uh, direction for us as parents?
1: Yeah, thanks for setting that up so well. Um, it's dangerous because we will not learn much if we are bubble wrapped or if there's a helicopter or a drone protecting us and um, correcting our mistake before we've even made the mistake. We won't learn as much and learning matters. Um, It's biblical. If you look at Romans 5, we are taught in the scripture that the valley experiences, the challenges and the struggles mature our character and our faith. And when I ask an audience of people who are listening to me speak, how many of you have a greater, mature character because of the struggles that you've experienced, you know, at least 80% of the hands quickly go up. And then when I say, how many of you have a deeper faith in the God of the Bible, because you've needed to lean on him in a time of need, every hand goes up. And so when I look at the dropout rate from faith, and I look at the dropout rate from church of people who are maybe 40 and under, I think a lot of it is this issue that they've never needed to rely on the God of the Bible to the extent that they know him and they know his advocacy and they know his strength and his love and his power. And they maybe haven't had to rely on parents. And so if you want your kids to be connected to you, where you are a source of strength and truth and wisdom for them, then allow them. Now, don't don't let them run into the road and get hit by a car. You know, obviously, yell stop. And I I don't think you have to create negative experiences for your kids. They'll naturally just have them because life is chaotic and people are messy. But if we we overprotect them, they will not believe in themselves. They won't believe that you trust them. Their attitude will be about mom must think I'm really stupid if she is constantly looking over my shoulder to see how I'm doing. And you don't want your kids to think that about your attitude toward them because that's not true of them. And then that changes the interactions that you have with them. I could go on and on, sir. There are so many reasons that overprotecting kids weakens them. It does not strengthen them. It's, it's not healthy.
0: Speak to us about the difference or the distinction between leading your child emotionally, psychologically, spiritually versus being a savior for your children.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, we're not the Savior. Um, Wow. We can't rescue them from everything, nor should we try to. It's the first place my head goes. Um, If we attempt to be their Savior, they will think they don't need the true Savior, and then they're on their way to hell. That's pretty dangerous and a damning statement. Um, You're a flawed human. You're learning along with them, as we just said a few minutes ago. You're on a journey of life dealing with, the stuff that you've experienced. And so to pretend that you're not and to pretend like you've totally arrived and you can be there all in all, that's not fair to you or them or your relationship. And at some point they will see the real you and then they will feel like you have lied or you have been the hypocrite and now they're going to be terribly confused.
0: Hmm. What I just heard you say, BC nation, I'm just translating for all of us here is that when we as parents try to rescue our kids constantly and save our kids, we play the role of God in their lives, except we're a pretend God because we're not actually in control of anything. (coughs) And what we end up doing is we sit on the throne representing God acting, behaving as if we are God and we steal that position that authority from god himself in our child's life that is not a thing we want to play with now maybe that's the first time you're hearing it that way wow. maybe you know, yeah. you've never Go thought ahead.
1: of it that way but isn't it so um you know what i what i thought of that's a brilliant statement what i thought of was if we try to be God, we're, we're a terrible imitation. So what would make God attractive to them? Wow. If we play that role of perfection, all the answers, all the wisdom, all the, the, the boundaries, and we don't do a good job at that, we're not going to do it as well as God, but we pretend to be God. Why would they then seek God? Whoa, that's dangerous, sir.
0: And I think this is why so many children seek the world for their answers. It's a very dangerous place to be as parents, right? With the authority given to us, there's great responsibility. (laughs) Now here's the good news. Parents everywhere. You don't need to pretend to be God and have all the answers in your child's life. That's why you have a savior and they have a savior. You have one role. Bring them to the Savior. Teach your kids how to be resilient enough spiritually to take their problems and know where to take them, right? When they have problems, to know where to take them and who to take them to. That's the key to everything. But if you're not taking your own problems to the King of Kings, well, shoot, we got another problem, don't we? So we, Dr. Doctor Kathy, I want to shift to spiritual resiliency. I just alluded to it. You write in your book to ensure more than a head knowledge, teach the names and attributes of God and how to depend on him through disappointment and pain. Parents should model a relationship with God rather than a rule-based religion model and teach that church, prayer, scripture memorization, worship, and other disciplines are important because of our relationship with Christ, not because we look good by doing them, end quote. Tell us more.
1: Yes, yes, yes. Thank you so much for bringing this up. I think it's the most important reason that I wrote the book. I am concerned, as I know you are, about people who give up on God um, after they've had a true relationship with him or maybe it was never a true full relationship, but they stopped seeking more of him. Um, a couple of thoughts. One is that we need to teach children the wholeness of God. We need to make sure that they know how big and glorious and majestic he is. I came to faith in Christ for wisdom. I had a lot of questions. I wanted to know why God lets you know good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people. And Is the God of Daniel the God of Revelation? And why are there four gospels if they all tell the same story? And why do we use the word story if it's true? I mean, I had all kinds of questions when I was an older teenager after having been raised in church. And um, I only knew that God was wisdom for a season. And then I discovered more about love and compassion and truth and grace and mercy and joy and peace and goodness and faithfulness and the whole of God the names of Christ, the names of God, the attributes, the role of the Holy Spirit. If we don't know all of God, if we have our favorite verse in our favorite book of the Bible and our favorite Bible hero, and we don't know the whole of God, then it's easier to give up on God when things don't go our way. If I only think that God is wisdom, and then I don't get the answer I want, what do I do? But if I also know that God is on my side and an advocate, and His boundaries are blessings, because that's what the Word teaches, then maybe I can receive His no as a really strong yes, and I maintain my faith. So I think one of the first things that we do to make make sure our kids are resilient in their faith is we make sure they know a whole lot about God.
0: Mm. I think that's so powerful. I hear story after story, even in my own personal life with people I know, where they seemingly were strong in their faith in God until a big enough crisis Mm. hit their life. And then they started swinging their finger up at heaven. Yep. God, where were you? Where did you go? Why did she die? Why did he suffer that long? Why did you take them from me? Why am I all alone? And they don't know what to do with those questions. And they give up on God because maybe, as you said, they only know one or two or three facets of God, but not they don't have a whole and complete image and likeness of God. And for this very reason, they don't have a whole and complete image of themselves because we're made in God's image and likeness. So we end up self-hating, self-loathing, God-hating, God-loathing, and we just sit in this pit of misery until maybe, just maybe, the pain gets so severe that we finally have no other direction to go but look up and give God another chance. I was just at a coffee shop earlier this morning after a men's group that we had at 6 a.m., and this man who was also at the men's group he walked over to me while i was on my laptop and he said hey how are you and he started talking and he looked very gaunt physically gaunt like he had lost a lot of weight and i said hey i notice you're looking pretty lean here was this intentional or are you going through something right now Mm. and he says no this is stress and he lost everything his Mm. marriage his wife everything. And now he's in custody battles with the kids and all this stuff. And, and I remember, I remember I had spoken with him probably eight months ago and we had opened up a conversation and I coach elite businessmen doing seven to nine figures who are killing in business, but going home angry, miserable, or headed towards divorce. And I help them prevent that. And I had offered him an olive branch, but he acted like everything was fine back then.
1: Uh, And
0: I could tell it wasn't, I knew he was on the trajectory of alone, divorced and miserable. Mm. And here he was eight months or so later and he's lost everything Mm. because he didn't have it within him at that time to ask for help, to be vulnerable, to say everything isn't fine, nor to lean on God fully. And now here he is, gaunt, stressed out, and finally leaning into God. But unfortunately, after he'd lost everything he worked so hard for. Yeah. Speak to us about, I, I just brought a lot to the table there. I get that. Yeah. Speak yeah. to us about any part of that that resonated with you.
1: Yeah. Thanks for what you do. That's really powerful. And I'm, I'm sad for him for how long it has taken him to realize where the real need is. And, and yet it's so terribly common as you and I both know the thing that comes to mind that I happen to write about in the book is that we can, we, we need to get more practical. I think that you can talk about, well, God is faithful. Well, what does that mean to a person who's never had anyone in his life who's faithful? They don't Mm. know, you know, even to say, God is love. Whoa. When there's been abuse and when people have used love to manipulate and control, Saying that God is love is not necessarily a good thing. Now, when you know God, you know it's a beautiful thing. You know, God is, uh, Jesus is peace. Well, do they even know what that could be? So one of the things that I think we can do better is going very practical, all right, from our own experiences and from the word of God. For instance, in my book, I write, God is the everlasting God. And we know that from the scripture. Therefore, he won't give up on me. He won't get tired of my questions or my needs. Hmm. Or here's another one. God provides for me. He is provider. We know that about him. God provides for me. He has given me time, talent, resources, people to help me, and even forced me to rest when I was sick. (laughs) So I think one of the things that can help people who are resisting going to God in a time of need is to make sure they know who he is and, and how it practically shows up. You know, God is my peace. I don't need to worry. He will take care of my emotional turmoil. Jesus is the light of the world. I don't have to live in the dark. Jesus can show me the way out of my dark place because he is the light of the world. Can we help people really know in their knowing what that means?
0: So, Dr. Kathy, that sounds like an ideal. And though I agree with you, I'm going to pose a challenge there. how do you speak to someone and tell them all the facets of who God really is when all they've experienced in their life are contradictions to those very things that sound yeah, good. I
1: yeah. yeah, no, exactly. Like I, I get that. I think we, we walk with them and we show them we can't just tell them and teach. I think we have to teach. We have to coach. You know, I don't know if you were an athlete or a piano player, but I'm a former um, coach. I would never let my right-handed basketball players shoot left-handed layups until they were good at right-handed layups. I would never let my athletes run and dribble if they couldn't dribble standing still. A good coach divides a complex task into minuscule pieces, and you make sure that you become good at one before you add a second and a third. Same thing with the piano. You get good at the right hand before you're allowed to add the left hand. We need to do a better job as humans, as family members and friends, of teaching, not telling, Coaching. What's it look like to be a believer? What's it feel like to lean into God? Why would you want to do that? Um, To talk about these things, to correct and to affirm. I think the whole of that makes a really big difference. Demonstrate with scripture. Demonstrate with Jesus in the gospels. Who was he when he was here on earth? to talk about the strength and the power and the truth, depending upon what a person needs. But I I think in addition to all of that, it's walking with them. And again, vulnerably sharing your story. You know, a number of years ago, I was in such a similar place to where you find yourself now. And I was so resistant to, I just didn't wanna believe that God really cared because if He really did care, then I'd have to change my life. So that was the first thing that had to happen with me is I had to decide it was okay if he cared. And once I decided it was okay, if he cared about me, because I knew if he cared about me, I'd have to raise my standard. So that was the first thing that I had to do. And then, so you tell your story when they're ready to hear it, bits and pieces. So no, we have to know our own story. Hmm.
0: But isn't it scary to look at the darkness within us, especially (laughs) if we don't like what we see?
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, How did you choose to do that yourself? Well, I didn't really have a choice. God whacked me upside of the head. And, you know, you don't have a right to ministry. You don't have a right to, you know, tell these people what you say is true if you're not going to deal with your own stuff in your own battle. It hasn't been easy for me. I, I, I'm more of a thinker than an emotional person. And so it has been challenging at times. But I've wanted more of God. You know, I tell young people all the time, Jesus took your sin upon himself that, he would, that you would have an abundant life. I love to tell kids, he didn't die that you would have an abundant school experience, but an abundant life, like it gets bigger and better than this. And you know what? I know so many people who are not living their abundant life. I don't want to waste the sacrifice of Christ. To be very honest with you, I don't want to waste his sacrifice. I want to become more like him because it honors him. We're called in Isaiah 43, 7 and other places to glorify God. And I believe one of the best ways we glorify God is to become who he intended for us to be. Ephesians 2.10 says that we have gifts within us yet to be discovered that we would walk in them. We were knit together. Knitting is a precise skill. The knitter knows what he's doing. And so I'm not too tall. I'm 6'1", and and I was too tall as a kid, and I want to be short. And I don't say anymore that I'm too tall because that dishonors God's creative intent. I just happen to be tall. We need to want more. We need to see that we are worthy because Jesus has made us worthy of so much. And and I'll say one other thing before I kick it back to you. When I first started sharing a bit more of my vulnerable story, and I'm careful who I share it with, but when I choose and I'm able to share a bit of the pain in my life and you watch it be used by God, It encourages you to keep it up, right? You probably know that as well. When you see God use your story, then you're motivated to keep telling it.
0: Dr. Kathy, at six foot one, I submit you are vertically gifted. (laughs) Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) Thank you for saying what you said there. I've seen in my own life, as scary as it is to share my past my poor decisions, the consequences of those poor decisions, the more I shared them publicly, starting out with the right people, of course, but the more I shared them publicly, first, it became easier. Mm -hmm. It wasn't as scary. Two, or second, people reacted positively and were inspired to share their own stories with the people that mattered to them. Mm -hmm. And three, I started to really understand that the painful stories of our past that God has brought us through successfully. And if you check your pulse, and you're still alive, you've been brought through successfully by God, they are meant specifically to be retold and shared in order to glorify God. They're not our stories. They are God's story told through our life. And that's a very important distinction. And when I finally got that, it now became my duty and obligation and responsibility to share my painful, sinful past with the happy ending attached to it. That God brought me to where I am now, this man you see in front of you. God did this miracle with an impossible project called me. (laughs) And this, I think those are three very powerful um, purposes for the pain in our life. And I hope that serves one listener well. What do you want to say about that or take it in a different direction?
1: You know, what comes to mind too, is that we should never be ashamed of the good testimony. I, I come from a good family. I've had I would Mm. say an easy life in comparison to a lot of people Um, well supported. Um, I could go on and on. God has been really good. Doesn't mean I haven't struggled. I have struggled. There has been sin in my life that I would love to have to have said, you know, boy, it didn't it didn't take root as deeply as it did. But in comparison to a lot of people, my story, if you will, would be easy. Don't ever be ashamed of that. Uh, A testimony. I, I work here in Fort Worth, Texas with an evangelist. And he'll often say that the best testimony is that you were saved from ever doing it rather than being rescued from it. So if somebody's listening to us and they're like, I don't know if I had a lot of pain, like, don't go looking for stuff that isn't there. If you've been raised well and you've had glory and and joy and peace and prosperity, if that's important to you, um, and you credit God as being the ambassador of all that toward you, celebrate that. Let people know, especially if they're young in their faith, you know, we grow through challenges and God will give you some because he's a good God, but not all of you are going to struggle in the deepest ways that maybe you have seen portrayed on on the TV shows, if I can put it that way.
0: I think that's important that you put it that way. Oh, thanks. I know when I married my bride, she was that person. Okay. And she couldn't believe people like (laughs) me existed in the world. People that broken. She really couldn't, like it blew her mind because she was raised Mm -hmm. in a very protected, um, godly home. Yeah, And she never crossed big, she never went outside God's lines in -hmm. a big way, like Mm -hmm. ever. So to know that there's this whole whole other side of the planet that literally are partying in the darkness when all she's ever seen is the light, she felt almost um, a jealousy initially A spiritual jealousy of, like, well, when I don't even have an interesting story to tell, mine's kind of just vanilla, spiritual <laughs> vanilla, right? And uh, it's interesting because the, the the gentleman I spoke of earlier at the the coffee shop this morning, he shared that as well today, and he said, you know, I had never experienced storms in my life. And I always looked at other guys that have been through storms. that came out of storms, almost like, wow, why not me? And now I finally find myself in one and I'm like, wow, this hurts, you know? So going back to what you said, don't wish that upon yourself. (laughs) If, if you've been protected, there's a reason Dr. Kathy, speak to us uh, about spiritually non-resistant children who haven't experienced much of God. And I know you've already touched on this. Uh, They haven't learned to depend on him because they really don't know that they can, or in all the ways that they can. Uh, And specifically, they haven't been honest with God about what they're dealing with. Mm. Maybe they don't feel he is a safe space. I know grown men, many grown men, who have never got honest with God about how they really feel about him when they went through some stuff in their life or they're going through some stuff in their life. And they've always prayed in a way that wouldn't offend him rather uh, than just getting honest and real and saying, I'm pissed off right now, God, and going very King David with God. Speak to us about that.
1: Well, it's so interesting. So again, you know, we're back to, do we know the whole of God? Um, so that's on us as parents, educators, friends and neighbors to make pastors, of course, priests, to make sure that people know the whole of God and that you, you can't offend him in that way. You know, he is available to hear it all, the, the good and the bad and the ugly, as long as I think we're sharing it to listen. Right. You know, and so I think part of the key to raise resilient children is to teach them how to hear from God. Tell us more about that. Yeah. Do they know to listen for his voice in a sermon, in a conversation, in a a song on the radio or on their playlist? Um, Do they know that the word of God is for them? Like how many times have we opened the Bible and read a verse and went, oh my goodness, I needed that today. Mm -hmm. And how many times have we gone into a church service and no one knew that we were struggling with faithfulness? but we got to sing about faithfulness and that was God saying, hello, that worship leader set that song list six weeks ago without consulting you. And you got to sing on that Sunday morning, a song about an attribute of God that you needed to be reminded of. That's God saying, hello, we have got to teach our children that and our adults, that God is a personal intentional God who will get our attention. He knows us better than we know ourselves, loves us so deeply. And so do we know, do we know that? So do we listen for his voice in the word, in the culture, in the songs, if you will, in the conversations? And do we look at the new and the old Testament, the Proverbs and the Psalms and expect him to be intentional, personal, and timely in a word. And for us to not see that as a coincidence, you know, there's no such thing as a coincidence. There's a godsident, you know, and I'm not the only one that uses that word, but, you know, for us to teach people that this is the depth of God's love for you. And I I just think I think that's part of it. And and I think I'm gonna I'll share another thing that I write about in the book that I think is really important that is relevant to what you're saying. And that is that we have to make sure that we do a really good job with people who don't know God as well as we do, that not every encounter we have with him is a mountaintop experience. There are many times I go to church and there isn't a single song that I needed to sing, but I sang them. There are many times that I'll do my church's daily Bible reading or my own quiet time, and there's not this aha mountaintop. I read it because I love God and I want to know him better. And it's his love letter. And so I participate in that. And then there are some times when I read it and I can't stop thinking about the one phrase and the one verse because it's exactly what I needed. So we do have those mountaintop experiences with God. And then we have the dry spell. And that's true of any relationship that we have on earth, right? We have friends that come and go and some relationships are vibrant for a season and then not so much. God has not changed, but our circumstances might cause us to relate to him differently. And I think we need to tell our kids that, because here's what kids have told me. If they, if their impression is that their mom and their dad always have this amazing encounter with God, and they don't, like they do their quiet time, they do the, what the youth pastor has told them to do, and they don't sense the, the closeness of God, then they think they're bad. Or God doesn't love them as much as God obviously loves their mom. And we've got to protect them from that lie.
0: Mm. That is so powerful and very Mm. commonplace. Mm. The enemy is whispering in our kids' ears constantly, there's something wrong with you. You're Mm. deficient. You're broken. Mm. You're irreparable. God doesn't love you. You can't trust him, etc., So parents, just as an echo to what Dr. Kathy said, make sure that you're sharing the highs and the lows of your spiritual journey with God, with your children. Yeah. And make sure you're telling them that every time you run to God... You don't always have spiritual consolation, which is what it's called, meaning feeling his presence right there with you in the storm. Sometimes you go through seasons of spiritual desolation, which is, where are you, God? Why do I feel like I'm going through this, this storm by myself, this battle by myself? It's important that we share this with our children. Otherwise, they'll think there's something wrong with them or God doesn't love them as much as He loves you. Thank you for that, Dr. You're welcome. Kathy. I want to wrap us up on this conversation. We've been speaking with Dr. Kathy Cook. Uh, her website is celebratekids.com, her new book, Resilient Kids. And as she says, spiritual resilience. Might be the most resi- most important resilience of all that we teach our children. So I want to bring this back to you, Dr. Kathy. What is your suggestion to parents whose children are being influenced by others with different beliefs than maybe you as their parent?
1: Oh, that's a great question. <clears throat> you have a right as a parent to place boundaries in relationships for your kids. So the first thing I would say is if you you believe your child is relating closely to someone whose beliefs are not yours and their values are very different, and you can especially begin to see your child being persuaded to believe that that boy or girl is right. That's a relationship that you probably need to step into and ask your child, why is this boy attractive to you? Why is this the girl that you tend to have lunch with and find out what's attractive there? And see if you can reason with your child to understand that there's damage being done to their soul, and then you know, well, you don't see it, but I see it, and therefore, you know, we're going to ask that you distance yourself. Now, that's really hard if they're neighbors or they sit next to them in a you know second grade or eighth grade classroom and eat lunch together and stuff. But you have a right to do that as a parent, and to say you're so important to me that you know my love for you compels me to make this decision. I'm not angry. But my love for you makes me make this decision. And then I would say what I think you would you would echo is know the truth and make sure they know the truth so they recognize the lie. You know, it's one of those, the jokes, the the, the police officers, if you will, the bank officials, they never study counterfeit dollars. You probably know this. They only study the real thing. They never look at a counterfeit bill in order to recognize one that comes into the bank. They only look at the real thing. So what we need to do with our kids and our, our teens and our young adults is to make sure they know the whole of God, again, as much as they're capable of understanding his attributes. What does God's love look like? It's not free reign. We have freedom in Christ, but we have boundaries that are blessings because God knows who we are and he knows that we benefit from you know, the boundaries, if you will. So do your kids know relevant truth? Oh, my goodness. Now, don't, don't be offended by that. All truth is relevant. It's in the Bible. It's supposed to be there. The first verse to the last verse, it's all there. But you know what I mean by that is if we know that our kids are struggling with selfishness and pride and authority issues and anger is everywhere. If we know what our kids are struggling with, they have to be happy all the time. That's one of the technology lies that I write about. They think they have a right to happiness. And so, of course, they reject when we make them do things that they don't want to do. So let's teach the truth of God's word about those things so that they see that the God's word is relevant. Therefore, God must understand and if they know that about God and, and the Bible, then I think they'll have an easier time turning to him on their own, even without us saying, hey, have you read the Bible today? Um, I, I think we can encourage our kids to be influential as well. If your kids are old enough, teach them how to persuade without debate. Teach them how to convince without arguing. There are some great skills that we can learn that will help us communicate our truth So that maybe we become the one that is the influencer. So that's a, that's a lot in response to your statement, but it's a, it is reality, you know, take them home. Sometimes we just got to bring them home. And, and for a season, we make sure that they are not influenced by a whole lot of people out there because they're vulnerable. They're, they're weak in their faith. And we need to bring them home and make sure that they're not a lot of loud voices, check out what they're watching, check out what they're listening to. You better be a friend with them on social media if you've allowed them to be there. And that's the right of a parent.
0: All right, Dr. Kathy Cook. She's laying down God's law for your home right here, right now. And remember, she's not going to be held responsible for your home and your family. You will be. So make sure, make sure, BC Nation, take this to heart, would you? If you take one action step closer to God personally and teach your kids to take one step closer to God this week, you've done well, and this pleases God. You don't have to create this perfect blueprint roadmap, have all the steps. Just take the one step God is showing you right now. If you don't see the step, then go ask him, would you? Get quiet with him. Stop talking, ask him, and then listen and wait and refuse to get up until he answers. God loves that. (laughs) He loves that. All right, Dr. Kathy, what do you do to strengthen and deepen your faith personally?
1: Oh, thanks for asking that. Um, Church is extremely important to me. And because I travel constantly, um, if I'm not there, I I do my best to listen to the sermon after the fact. I pay attention to my life group leader. Um, We're in constant communication, especially on the weeks when I'm not able to be in church. Um, Of course, reading the word of God is really important. I read a, um, oh, I read a daily, here it is. I read a prayer every day from one of my favorite books. And it's a prayer somebody else has written, the author of the book has written it. And it always speaks to me. Sometimes praying is a challenge. I, If I'm denying what is really there in my spirit, I might not want to verbalize it. I'm not proud of that, but that sometimes is the case. So this book, it's called Everyday Prayers, um, has been a significant growth for me. Um, worship is extremely important to me. So every day I make sure to spend time in song and in in quiet. I loved what you just said about being quiet, listening expectantly for his love to show up in his presence and in his answers. Um, Accountability is important to me. So my staff, my brother and his wife, um, I I invite them to let me know what they see that's going on that I might be blind to. I think that's really important. oh my goodness, I I just can't even imagine life without striving to learn. And and I learn. it's a relational thing for me. It's not, I'm not obligated. God loves me whether I read his word or not. But because I'm in a relationship with the God of the Bible, my creator and his son, I do these things to stay in relationship. And that's how you grow your faith is you spend time with the one who you want to have faith in. And it's through word and and prayer and worship and conversation and giving and communion. and, And it's all those things. If you view them as the power of relationship, now don't check it off your list. Like I'm a good girl. I was raised a good girl. I checked it off my list. I'm a good girl. And now I do it because I want to do it. And it changes you.
0: It absolutely changes you. Dr. Kathy Cook, uh, welcome to my favorite part of the show. Welcome to the confession round. I'm going to ask you 10 quick fire questions. You'll have about three seconds to answer each. Don't overthink it. It's just for fun. It's like a game show without the prizes. Are you ready?
1: Wait, there's no prize?
0: The prize is, I don't know.
1: Oh my goodness. Are you ready? I, I don't know. Probably not, but let's try it anyway.
0: First question. What's your favorite thing about God? Joy. What is your least favorite thing about God? (laughs) Um, The standards at times. I believe we're all struggling with something at any given moment of our life. It's just part of the human condition. What are you currently challenged with right now, either professionally or personally?
1: Intellectual pride. I know more than you know. (laughs)
0: A PhD can sometimes do that. What are you most afraid of?
1: My brother's death scares me.
0: Got it. What did you spend way too much time doing this past year?
1: Worrying about money.
0: What secret fear do you
1: have about people? That they only like me for what i know
0: Mm. what do you wish you had learned sooner about god
1: the the constant i'm on your side yeah what
0: is a new habit you're going to create this year
1: bible memorization Bible memorization and what's or, a bad scripture, it? not Bible. That's really scary. Scripture memorization. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and what is a bad habit? You're going to break.
1: Ugh.
0: Um, Staying up too late. Pick three words to describe who you are now. At
1: peace. Um, surrounded by love. And learning
0: Pick three words to describe who you were before you learned to trust God and who He is, whole and complete.
1: Oh. Uh, insecure, um isolated
0: and prideful. And last question if you could come back to life after you died look your family and friends in the eye, and give them only one piece of advice about God. What would you say to them?
1: Come on. Oh, my gosh. Um, if they're unsaved, I would say, you know, heaven is worth it. Get your life right. And if they're saved, I might talk to them about, being welcomed, really welcomed because you were God's friend on earth. Got it.
0: So if they're unsaved, you would spiritually slap them. That's yeah. What I picked yeah, up.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: And if they're saved, you would spiritually invite them. Go yeah. deeper, go deeper. Yeah. All right. This is my part of the show where you get to give a BC nation a homework assignment for this week. What's the one action step uh, they can take? that will grow their faith and trust in
1: God even more. Wow. I, I would invite you to wrestle with what is in your past that is preventing you from truly trusting God with your today. What's in the past that is preventing you from trusting God with your today today? Process it deeper, understand it more fully, forgive, know you've been forgiven, process what has happened that is preventing you from truly trusting today, because something has happened. Figure that out, and you'll be able to move forward more readily.
0: BC Nation, to piggyback upon that. When there were times in my life where I didn't know what that thing was that was blocking me in my relationship with God, but I knew something was there. I went to God and I asked him to reveal Mm. it to me. So good. And he did. I didn't like what I heard. (laughs) But I now had a target. And then my next step was to surrender that thing, that rock, that head trash, those lies back to him once it was identified. And he faithfully removed it from me in a miraculous way over and over and over again, one rock after another until I was totally free. This is what he wants to do with you in your life. But it all starts with asking him, God, what's standing in between you and I that's holding me back from going deeper with you? And then get honest with him if you already know what it is. He knows what it is. All right. We've been speaking with Dr. Kathy uh, Cook. Um, and, you know, I want to ask you this, Startup Nation. Did you enjoy this show, this episode with her about resilient kids and parenting? It, was, it wasn't just about resilient kids. It was about being a resilient parent yourself. If you've enjoyed this episode, would you go write a five-star review about Dr. Kathy you could do that on uh, Apple Podcasts. You could do it at Stitcher.com, or you could go to BrokenCatholic.com and do it directly off of my website. Um, write an honest review now. If I like what I what you write, uh, I'll give you a shout out, possibly live on the show, like I'm about to do right now with handle Nate Coles. Nate Coles. Nate Coles. Uh, this was just the other day. He he wrote this. He wrote episode episode three ninety three. Connect with your wife before it's too late. Mm. and man does that hit home with that guy at the coffee shop i saw today connect with your wife before it's too late i'll also add connect with your kids before they're grown and it's too late and they want nothing to do with you uh nate continues on and says very well explained topics great conversation helpful and useful personal stories added character and relatability to this discussion excellent exclamation point Nate Cools, thank you for your five-star review. I appreciate it. Uh, BC Nation, go write yours right now. All right, Dr. Kathy, where does BC Nation go to find out more about you? Pick up your book, get connected with you.
1: What do you got for them? Thank you. Celebratekids.com is our website. There, of course, is a shopping cart where all my books can be purchased. We are a ministry, so if you purchase from us, we benefit. But of course, you can go to other places to buy the book and you're familiar with what those other places might be. We are all over uh, Instagram and Facebook, and we have a podcast, uh, Celebrate Kids with Dr. Kathy. And I would certainly invite people to come there if they've enjoyed my interview with you. And I have enjoyed it. Thank you so much for how well prepared you were and your questions were deep. You, got, you must have thinkers who listen to you because we went deep. I enjoyed it.
0: Dr. Kathy, thank you for being on Broken Catholic. I wish you God's love, peace, and joy in your life. Thank you. Have you tried